as long as people promise they did it, you know, I'll have you all promise that you did it. And um, if you didn't, I'll just come around and cry and say, you promised. I promise. That's a that's a hecky promise. You can take that to the bank. And speaking of taking it to the bank, uh, we now are on episode 46 of the Halcyon Frequency Podcast. That was um, so awkward, I am Arch. It wasn't awkward. I was just <laughs> waiting for the right moment. I no, think it was, it was okay. awkward. That was so awkward, you, man. You were awkward. A win. Fine then. Fine then. Speaking of awkward, we're at episode 46 of the uh, Halcyon Frequency Podcast. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I am Arch. I am here with Sui. How are you, Sui? Hi, I'm tired. I just woke up. Oh, lovely. And we are also here with a bloody Drongo. How are you, mate? I'm very well. I also woke up. I'm a little bit sleepy, but I've also made myself some breakfast, and it was very delicious, and I'm thrilled to be here. You really sound it. I can hear that thrilledness in your in your bones <laughs> and we are also joined by the a lovely and wonderful hecky hello hi how are you i am great thank you i have not just woke up i've been awake for a few hours at least but i am eating dinner at midnight so yeah that's going <laughs> all right i guess <laughs> that's total. It's that's totally fine. It, it it appears that everyone here is some level of you know um, odd odd in their time zone. I think I think Drongo is the only one that that lives in a normal time zone, like lives in his time zone. I should say. Oh, I mean, that's pretty debatable. I'm definitely a night owl. I mean, I, I typically yeah. won't go to sleep until at least two or three a.m. Well, that's early. <laughs> No, you, you just have a flip sleep schedule, right? That's that's not being a night owl, Sui. That's just being a degenerate. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are one week after the Hot Potato. Um, Hot Potato Charity event went uh, ended this Monday, was it? Because yes. I'm, asking, I'm asking correctly because, you know, obviously it was Tuesday for me. And Tuesday. I just wanted to double check. Yeah, it was Tuesday. Tuesday? Because of time zones. Tuesday. What? Tuesday. 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 <laughs> what? Tuesday. What is going on? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, you're a menace. Absolute menace. Do you want to give us some recap on the uh, hot potato, though, so we, uh, how much yeah. it raised and, and all yeah. of that? So the hot potato raised as of recording anyway, because people are still able to donate to it. You guys can feel free to, we will have the link in uh, the description to this lovely podcast. But at the current moment, we are at $125,892.69, which also we are like very, very close to our all time amount raised being $300,000. That's insane. Yeah. It really is. I'm just trying not to think about it too hard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it was an absolutely insane event for both, you know, uh, the streamers and also um, the people on the back end. But, Hecky, you had an amazing 
an amazing session with the hot potato and I don't <laughs> think I don't think it was as chaotic for anyone else as it was for you. I I don't know what to say. Uh, I had nightmares and was uh, hoping that it wouldn't go so bad and it went worse than I ever could have imagined. <laughs> Um, but that's the fun of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I had a good time, and I hope that's uh, what matters. So for those of us who didn't manage to catch your slot live, what, what actually went wrong? So I guess it was quite early on. I was uh, a couple of a couple of uh, streamers in, uh, maybe eight, I think, and I got handed a file with six colonists on it and a growing... Um, slowly growing, but uh, steadily and goodly growing colony. Uh, I handed off the save file to the next person with two colonies left. Oh, that's, it, it, that's it's, not so bad. Not all of them died. Only one. I lost <laughs> one colonist to death, but uh, the rest were kidnapped. And I believe that some people made up to uh, made up for it and, and brought them back later on their turns. Amazing. Uh, among others, the Seabull Battle Grandma, I know, got kidnapped on my run, and she did come back. So uh, there were some uh, good things to come out of it eventually. <laughs> not not yeah. things to me, though. <laughs> no, hey, no, it was a lot of fun. Story. You just added story to the event. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and one thing I saw people talking about later on is actually two of the kidnapped colonists came back via quests. And anyone who plays RimWorld, even getting one kidnapped colonist return during a playthrough is like, oh, wow, that's cool. Um, getting two back is, everyone was like, I don't think I've ever heard of this happening. So it was it was definitely an episode of drama, but, you know, the fun kind of drama. It was absolutely great. And one thing I really loved about the potato is it really did go from lots of colonists to no colonists to lots to none to lots to none and it really bounced around a lot and um it was it was a lot of fun to see you know tuning in and going okay who's still alive and being like oh they're dead oh they did like battle grandma i i forget mm -hmm. where she died <laughs> um but steve um steve was alive steve in the an, end he lived yeah steve was an early colonist that saved a lot of uh lot of the day but he was also a pyromanic so he occasionally went on fire starting sprees and in my playthrough even um set fire to the mortar shells which blew up and he survived so um <laughs> there, there was a lot of fun and a lot of drama in it um drongo how was your your turn on it i mean it was very drama filled i mean I, much the same as hecky i i got a save file with five colonists was it was it five or was it four? I don't remember. Uh, and I handed it over with two colonists at the end. It was um, uh, it was it was pretty challenging. But I I do want to take at least some degree of credit for the fact that it was as challenging as it was because I did put quite a bit of time into playtesting that scenario, and the whole uh, the whole premise of it you know, being very sim super simple of having, you know, just the, the sole goal of gathering as many potatoes as possible. The original version I had was a little bit more complex than that and had some different conditions in it. But the the core idea of growing potatoes 
uh, and having the yield as high as it was is deceptively, deceptively difficult because you're basically accumulating a massive amount of wealth, which makes the raids significantly harder for virtually no benefit to your colony from a defensive standpoint. So it was very amusing to me throughout the event hearing people comment on the fact that I don't know why this is so hard. And it's like, well, you know, you've also got like at least 50,000 additional wealth that is just potatoes. <laughs> so I was very pleased to see yep. that it, it kept people on their toes and um, added some extra drama and spice to the event and didn't let people kind of cruise on through without too much effort. Yeah, no, it was absolutely hilarious watching the potato count go as well. Um, Alan Gator actually created a list that tracked the amount of potatoes um, yeah. that were remaining through each one. And um, where was that list shared? Because I here, here it is. It? So yeah. I think we peaked, uh, you know, early early game. It was just let's farm all the potatoes and. You know, peaked around 27,000 with the Allen Gator. And, um, and then it dropped down to, by the time Rocket Sox had finished with their playthrough, uh, we were down to 4,000. So <laughs> there, was, there was a definite um, drop in colony wealth there. And it was absolutely great seeing, um, seeing that go through. And, you know, you almost see like the winter and then the, the, the growing months as well, which was funny. But, like, I, I thought at first, oh, yeah, the potatoes will just grow. There'll be more and more potatoes, and that's what'll be going on. And seeing it go up and then down and up and down was kind of really interesting, too. Uh, I think it was an absolutely great event, um, a great scenario. It was a great event, but also a great scenario, which is the word I, I was trying to I feel bad, though. I, uh, I kept asking, or, uh, not Arch, Drongo. Oh, gosh, are we going to have another uh, Kiri... Uh... FG thing here. But uh anyway, I kept no. telling <laughs> <laughs> I kept asking Drongo uh to change it cuz I was just like, mm. it was too complex, you know, like for an event like this, you want to keep it as simple as possible while still having some kind of layer of complexity and it's it's a difficult balance cuz if you make it too hard then the streamers are all going to be like overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Um we did have quite a few Streamers new to the idea of the hot potato as well. I think someone got the idea that we had new streamers to RimWorld, which wasn't really the case. Um, you know, Hecky Hecky claims that she'd only had one colony beforehand, but I just point <laughs> out that that colony went to space, didn't it? They did, yes. But I played on that one colony for a couple of hundred hours, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, only only one colony, but played it for a couple of hundred hours, and actually, I got one hundred percent success rate of colonies. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think anyone here can say that. No, I I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember being so uh, incredibly excited to see that Hecky was playing Rimwald. And tuning in, and I have to say that playthrough was everything I hoped it would be. It was just, uh, it was, it had everything. It was magical. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it was pure and utter chaos, but um, it was a lot of fun. I'm so happy I could take part this year and finally be in the event. I've been looking forward to it for so long, but I never managed to finish my colony that was just running for hours and hours. And 
finally this summer I got done with it and I could apply. So I'm so excited that I got to be part of it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm it was I'm an absolute sad. pleasure to have you. I'm sad that I didn't get to find out who Hecky is until she applied for the event, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I was going through I mean, the applications, and I was just like, oh, this person's really cool. And I just didn't know about you or of you prior, and I'm so happy I got to meet you. I'm very happy I got to meet you too, and all the cool people that are involved in this. And uh, I'm glad maybe that you didn't know about me beforehand, because... Uh, if you think that I seemed cool from the application, I am. Um, I'm just gonna take that and say thanks. <laughs> but also, I, I, that would not have happened if you had known me from the beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I really like about the the hot potato, though. You know, um, there are so many streamers like um, that everyone finds because you know you 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 might have one favorite streamer that takes part and then it gets passed. I saw members of my community in so many different different ones, and and these are people that I know came from me, Ali. I mean, one of them is a real life friend, and he was suddenly watching the hot potatoes, seeing all these things. It was absolutely great seeing him comment, and it was it, it it's a great opportunity for you know like oh yeah, you can talk about how oh, the streamers get so much exposure and all that, but I more mean it's a great opportunity for community members to find other RimWorld players. And and lots of fun because that's how I found several of the the RimWorld players. I think even uh, Italics is I I found him through um through the hot potato in in 2020. So uh yeah no it's absolutely great and it's it's a it's a wonderful experience for for everyone. It's a bit stressful when you're streaming. I mean I don't remember much of my playthrough. Um, <laughs> kind of, kind of just blanked that one out, but, um, yeah, no, it was, it was absolutely, absolutely good. And Sui, you even got to interview Tynan, didn't you? Yeah. Um, an hour into my turn, FG and I decided, we didn't decide, we got the opportunity to interview Tynan, which was Really, really wonderful. Um, if you guys missed that and you want to go back and watch it, um, you can just find it on my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash at Sui. Um, and it's one of my most recent posted videos. I'm probably going to make it my channel. Like when you go onto my channel, that's the first video you see thing. So yep. if you guys want to see it, I'll go do that right now while everyone's talking. Oh, <laughs> uh, yep. We can also put the link down below as well because... The interview with Titan is something that I think appeals to a lot of people. Like, even if they're not following the, um, the hot potato itself, the game RimWorld has so much to offer and, and all of this. So the interview is always usually a highlight. Always usually, I say. You know, look at me use my big words. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And, and I think everyone, everyone here did really well. And Hecky, you raised such an awesome amount that it's absolutely unbelievable. For a first time, first time hot potato, um, you raised what was it? Uh, nearly seven uh, and a seven? half thousand dollars. Oh yeah, seven two seven two point seven two. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot take the credit for that. It's all my community. They're amazing. And I think they were maybe a little bit charity starved. We usually do charities yearly, but we hadn't done one this year. So um, they were very excited. They're big also RimWorld fans as well. So 
um, it's it's all thanks to them. You you need to feed your community charities <laughs> at least once every six months. Gosh, heck, you, right. you know this. I know, I know. I am sorry. Hecky's community <laughs> is incredibly generous and sweet and kind. It's always a, a pleasure hanging out over there. They're very, very yeah. caring. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. That's, that's I'm glad really we could awesome. take part in the hot potato now and uh, bring all all the good vibes over there as well into the event. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it was a and and you yourself hung out in a lot of them. As I said, you know, I saw a lot of people in different ones. You were someone that I saw in so many. Um, you and I even entered a bidding war too. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I won. I'll oh, I out. I saw this. Wow, I saw this. Rude. Well, look, look, yeah, I'm just I was saying. very I'm upset, and then, <laughs> and then I saw that the colony was actually named Hickey, um, so thank you. Yeah, yeah, I came in at the last moment and beat you and then named the colonist Hickey. <laughs> I mean, just because I wanted to win doesn't mean I'm not a good sport about it. Right. I'll, I'll take that loss. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take a quick little break and then we'll jump into a recap in the week that was in some of the games we've been playing. We'll be back right after this break. Hello, you are listening to the Halcyon Frequency Podcast. My name is Blind IRL. I'm not on this episode, but I've been streaming a lot of Dwarf Fortress over on twitch.tv slash blind IRL. That is, once again, twitch.tv slash B-L-I-N-D IRL. Come check it out sometime. Hang out. On with the show. And we're back. Thank you for waiting. Um, Drongo, you've been playing some fairly new games recently. What have you been up to? I've been playing uh, several new games, actually, at the moment. I've been playing some Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, amongst other things. And that one has definitely been a bit of a a contentious topic throughout the mm -hmm. gaming community and Nintendo community and the Pokemon community because it is just, uh, it, it has problems. It is, <laughs> it is a diamond <laughs> in the rough, but very, very rough. Um, I don't know exactly how much you guys have seen about it online. The lag. Yeah, my my friends, um, I mean, Buddha downstairs has been playing it a lot. So I've actually been watching it a lot. It looks like a really good game that is really let down um, by by everything. You know, it's it's a great story, great mechanics, horrible performance, horrible bugs. Hmm. I don't, I don't know if I was I would go as far to say great story because well I, it's so far I found the st story yeah yeah I, it is interesting it it the story is okay from what I've experienced so far it's not super directional so one of the really big interesting things to note about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is that it's the first mainline game to really adopt a true open world. Uh, philosophy in terms of game design there's no kind of linear progression whereas even with the previous games the mainline games they always had always had an element of you know free world roaming to them but they were structured in such a way they were gated in such a way that it was a very linear progression so this is the first one where that doesn't really exist and you can kind of go about in your leisure doing 
anything you want kind of in any given order. There are a few like fairly minor gating mechanics, but it's very open world. And I'm still not 100% sure if I feel like Pokemon benefits overall from it being a true open world game. But you're right. It is it is a game that is let down by its flaws. And besides that, it is still also a really incredible and really, really fun game. Like the core gameplay is absolutely awesome. I, I, I adore it. I've been having a bunch of fun with it. And it's... <sighs> The way I've described it is it's kind of like that embarrassing relative that you kind of, you get along with really well uh, initially at family gatherings and you're just like, you you kind of initially excited to see them. And then occasionally they just come out and say something outrageous and it kind of is a bit embarrassing and reminds you of like, oh yeah, this is why we don't hang out more often. This is why we only see each other <laughs> during, you know, family get-togethers. <laughs> so it's uh, it's definitely a flawed game, but uh, an enjoyable none, uh, enjoyable one nonetheless. Yeah, I, I, um, I've enjoyed watching it. Um, I've heard playing it can be frustrating. I mean, one of my friends finished the game and even the credits had lag. Literally... What? text scrolling on the screen was lagging and and, no. and jumping so um there are definite performance issues and i i do actually wonder if this will be a wake-up call to nintendo or to game freak i should say because they've coasted by on so much goodwill within the um you know within it all but it is slowly reaching that point of these uh um like you know this is performance that should have been reason for an absolute halt rather than um what it currently is so it's kind of um kind of interesting to see and i'm i have no intention of getting the game myself there are a couple of copies floating around so if i really feel the urge to play i'll just borrow friends but yeah i think the the interesting thing is is that i think that there will actually be some some internal addressing of this problem because Nintendo has now publicly addressed it and put out a statement regarding the performance issues, which is yeah. pretty unforeseen for Nintendo specifically because they... W like, it's not the first time Nintendo's done a pretty ordinary release of a game. Uh, and this is the first time I can think of that where they've actually acknowledged, hey, yeah, we did not do a good job on this. And Nintendo's like one of those companies that feels like it's so kind of insular in the way that it approaches its its business practices that it very rarely takes on criticism or feedback from the actual player base and stuff so it's yeah hopefully a good sign that they've addressed it publicly and have i guess taken note of it and yeah hopefully they'll do something about it um and future game releases perhaps won't be quite as scuffed as this one has been fingers crossed at least hey um, Sui, how's Project Zomboid been treating you? Oh, I've been loving Project Zomboid. I'm currently running a community server for my community. So basically the only requirement for them is that they join my Discord server. And the server is only open when I'm live. 
and then like sometimes a couple hours outside of it so like an hour before and an hour after type thing but it's been a really good time everyone's been having a blast we're making a little so like there's um a big lake kind of out in the middle of nowhere and we're making our own little place with it so you can like completely build buildings and stuff on your own in the game and that's what we've been doing and it's been such a fun good time like yeah, we, we're uh, building on top of the lake. We're doing, like, a little floating village. Oh, And it's nice. so pretty. Yeah, I'm loving it. And, like, so different people are doing different buildings, too. So, like, they all have different stylized elements to them, which, like, makes the whole thing more cohesive, which I'm loving. And then, like, so usually I'm the type of person who goes out and then goes exploring, and that's all I do. But in this... I've literally spent the past three streams at base trying to get enough food cooked for everyone. Because it's just like, we need so much food all the time. And so I just spend forever just cooking and getting materials to cook with and stuff, <laughs> you know? That's an interesting approach regarding the um, the server only being open when you're up. Because, like, um, I think most of us here i don't know about you hecky um we've we've had community servers for various things minecraft is one that usually comes to mind and 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 it does sort of when it's up 24 7 you do wind up with a couple of really passionate people who have basically achieved everything and you know when you when you log in after you know i've played three hours day later you log in again and someone's you know built this massive castle Having it only open when you're playing means that the the progression sort of flows with you as opposed to outpacing you greatly. I think that's a really, really interesting idea. Yeah, um, there was some kickback at first, but people have really liked it as they've continued because, you know, one person can't go in and, like, grind out everything. You know, you're kind yeah. of forced at going at the same speed as me and everyone else, which is nice and then like they work in sessions too so um i don't know it's just kind of nice and i think people are getting burnt out on it a lot slower because it's in these sessions they get to look forward to it they get to play and then they can't play again for another day or two which you know um it really helps with burnout i think and I don't think the server would be thriving as much if I had it open 24-7, you know? Um, during my streams, I'll notice, like, eight people on the server, which is a lot. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool, and I think it's really great to see. Project Zomboid's one of those games that, you know, I've always viewed from a distance, but um, there's always been a passionate community, and that's that's really awesome. Speaking about the dead... Arch, you've been playing some Graveyard Keeper, which I love the game. I'm I'm curious what you have to yes. say about it. I played it when it first came out. Was it in early access? I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't remember either, but I remember when I played it when it first came out, and it lacked a lot of what it's currently got. I, I put about 50 hours into it, so I'd played through most of the main game, and I decided to come back for it from my YouTube series, and it's just been a hell of a lot of fun. I went and bought all the DLC. Um, they've got such great ideas for the DLC name. Um, let me just have a look and, and get those names for you because they're absolutely hilarious. Um, they've got uh, Stranger Sins, 
Game of Crone, um, Better Save Soul, and I thought they had another one, but I think that is one that is inherent within the actual, um, in the game, it was a free update. But yeah, so they all have uh, puns on basically the, or, or plays on what has currently come out, like, you know, Better Save Saul, Game of Thrones, Stranger Stranger Things. And so it's mm-hmm. been quite fun. And the game itself is beautiful. It's like the the top tier of pixel art. It's just mm-hmm. an absolutely wonderful world and lots lots of fun humor. Like the communist donkey who, as soon as you inherit the church, decides he hates you and wants to be paid in carrots now. And, and, and I think there's a lot of fun opportunities with that. It's an older game, but it checks out. You know, that's, yeah, that's no. kind of it for me. I agree. It's really good. Um, I actually, while I was playing it for the first time, had the Tiny Build Community Manager, like, come in, into my chat. And, like, I'm now, like, one of the Tiny Build, like, affiliated streamers now. So I get Tiny Build keys for any game that I want. And it's just, it's... Humble brag like, there. No, it's just, like, it was really, really cool because... You know, I didn't expect that at all. Like, it's an amazing publisher. Um, and the game's just been so cool so far. I love how much they add. Like, I'm trying not to give spoilers too much, you know? Yeah, no um, no spoilers. No spoilers. You will be shush on all spoilers. Yeah, but I'll just say there's multiple ways for commerce to happen. And it's really cool the way they do it which is really yeah, fun. That... It's it adds a lot of variety and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you for no spoilers. Mhm. Now, over to you, Hecky. What have you been playing lately? <laughs> uh, I've been playing a lot of Elden Ring actually, trying to finish the game. I feel like the uh, segue there is like speaking of death even more. Uh, yeah. Here's Elden Ring <laughs> yeah, right? with Hecky. Well, right. <laughs> I don't. I don't know enough about Elden Ring to do that, but I think the memes that I do know because it's a Souls like is just yeah, you'll die a hundred times per boss if you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I think I ended the game with about one thousand two hundred deaths, so wow. I I would say I did pretty. Pretty good if you think that uh, dying the most is the best. I think well, that's the goal, isn't I, it? You got to get a high yeah, score. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I think so too. That's I what I was like, going for. I feel like I've heard that, like, I've never played a Soulsborne game in my life, but I have watched quite a bit of Elden Ring now, uh, thanks to Hecky and uh, uh, a few other people. But I feel like, is it Melena, Melania, who's like the really hard, like, yes. swords? woman or swords thing uh i feel like a lot of people have died to her like at least like several hundred or at least a thousand times so 1200 deaths actually isn't is actually pretty good i think right (laughs) i did spend a good three days uh, three streams uh, fighting her but uh, we got there in the end uh did not take uh, more than 200 deaths so i um that wow. probably could have gone better, but I'm I'm still happy. I don't claim to be a professional, so I'm not too fussed about that. That actually reminds me, the one of the major things that I know about Elden Ring is that guy let me solo her, who basically wears a pot in his head and is naked otherwise and, and fights her. 
um, because you can you can call in basically anyone online to come and come and help you fight. And so this guy started doing it, and I think he killed her over a thousand times. And the um, Bandai Namco actually sent him like this full on. It's an actual sword, and it's a map scroll and plaque that's like congratulations and all of that. And it's absolutely insane that this one guy made his whole thing of I fight Melina or Melina, whatever <laughs> her name is. Um, and yeah, just got recognized by the developers for it or the publishers for it as well. You know, it is absolutely awesome. That's yeah, so I think cool. it's really cool. The yeah. game is uh, a big struggle, and I think a lot of people have gotten recognized because of that as well. Uh, people finding all kinds of ways to fight through the game. Uh, I have a friend who's also Swedish who has been fighting through Elden Ring with all kinds of uh, challenges, doing it one-handed, doing it on a dance pad. And uh, I just don't understand how people can do these things so well. Uh, yeah. Same with the guy that you talked about. I, I just... I, I feel like I fought her once. I would never want to do that again. <laughs> I I remember having this conversation with Tekkard, who was a, a guest on the on the pod previously, and he was a big fan of Elden Ring. And I mentioned that I would absolutely frustrate me to tears being on a, like having to repeat these things. And he's like, "Yeah, but it's something that you kind of learn as skill based. You know, it's you're never going to be beaten up by RNG." right? They telegraph their moves in advance. They do all of this. And he's like, that's why you see people being able to beat it with it with a dance pad with all of this, because they're actually, it is designed to be able to identify what's coming, dodge it and all of that. And he goes, it just takes practice. And it's one of those things that, um, he was talking about the sense of achievement. He's like, it's one of those things that you can actually feel like you overcame the boss here because it was, you know, you sort of learn to read the patterns and such. And so I can appreciate that. It's still not for me. Um, I'm not sure I'll ever actually um, play it. If I wanted to pay pay money to be made to cry, I'd probably find other ways. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's. <laughs> I do think it's the like the most uh, friendly games out of the Souls games. I would say like a new player friendly, so to speak. It's still really really hard. And um, definitely a struggle, probably if you're not used to the, the games in particular, but also I, I feel like the open world element makes it a little, um, you have more ways to play the game. You can go different places. It's easy to be like, I am not prepared for this area yet, so I'm just going to go to another area and try to fight my way around there or explore yeah. or just uh, walk around and see what you can find. Um, I feel like... Other Souls games um, have been more like pretty straightforward and quite linear in comparison. Um, at least that's how how I feel. I'm I'm not qualified to to call myself call myself uh, an an a proper um, Souls uh, fan. I think, but I have played the previous titles, all of them, and uh, I do uh, I, I do feel like this is the one that is it stands out in the way that you can you have more. Um, freedom, I think, be, with it being an open world game, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, if that you decide sense. to pick up a, a title uh, from the the str the struggle uh, boss fight kinds of games, this might be the one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have been tempted. Like I I've always found the idea of trying to get into 
the Soulsborne genre a little bit intimidating, but Elden Ring has probably been the closest I have been to actually being tempted to take that kind of suffering into my life and, uh, you know, absorb myself into it. I would love to see you stream it. <sighs> would, Hecky. Would it, would, it be <laughs> less, would it be less frustrating than getting over it? I uh, have played both. It's too I soon. Too soon to <laughs> have you finished getting over it, Hecky? Yeah, I did it twice, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I've put like 20 hours into that faster. game and I still haven't finished it. And it is driving for, for, me up the wall. For context, uh, Drongo played it last night and rage quit. Oh, all right. All right. I missed that. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't finish it then so I can catch that. Is that oh, happening good. next time? Thanks, Hecky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for your next challenge run. Just finish <laughs> the bloody game. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Um, but speaking of other challenges, you've been also playing Dark Tide, haven't you, Drongo? I have. I've been dipping my toes into Dark Tide. I was part of the uh, the uh, pre pre beta, and then the beta, and then the uh, the actual launch of the game. Obviously, because then it becomes available to everybody. But I have been playing <laughs> a a decent amount of it, and I've been having a really great time with it. It is one of those games where. I think it appeals to both fans of the 40k universe or the Warhammer 40k universe and people who aren't necessarily fans of it or know anything about the lore. And it does a really great job of unifying the aesthetic and the overall feel of the universe, that grim, dark universe. It, it has absolutely stunning environments that are just dripping with little details that will kind of you know if you're into the lore and into the you know the environment and the world building you're going to enjoy that and appreciate it for what it is uh but if you know nothing about it the gameplay in of itself is just really really engaging and really really fun the probably the biggest criticism and downside of the game at this stage is that it is uh only playable through multiplayer lobbies for progression which is a real real shame but uh hopefully it has been suggested that is something that is going to be coming down the line so fingers crossed that'll happen but for the for the time being it is just a a really fantastic fun game and if you've enjoyed games like vermintide or if you've enjoyed games like left for dead and things like that small squad based collaborative shooters where you can kind of get your mates together, have a really good time, you know, uh, you know, shooting, shooting things and watching them exploding in gory pools of blood, then you go and enjoy this. It's it's Dark Tide is awesome. They've nailed it as far as I'm concerned. Isn't there a problem with That's... Dark Tide though, where like RTX shading just doesn't turn off or something? Like real time tracing that... or retracing they... or whatever? They launched in the beta, and for some reason, a lot of people didn't understand it was actually a beta, and there were a lot of complaints like, oh, this game's broken, it's buggy, and it's like, yeah, you're actually in the beta event? And, um... That makes sense. 
yeah, oh wow. I just got a follow on Twitch that just played through my headphones and absolutely <laughs> creeped me out that I'd actually hit uh start streaming instead of start recording. Oh Gosh. boy. Nice. <laughs> um yes. But yeah, um as I was saying, there there were a few few bugs in that, but that was part of the beta and part of the reason for the beta. So they went through all of that and um that should have been mostly sorted by now, Drongo, is that right? Uh I wasn't aware of that particular issue. I've personally not encountered any bugs at all besides uh, a relatively minor bug where when you load in sometime, uh load into like the main hub area um in between missions sometimes you just won't get animated with uh with uh so yeah you just won't get your body animated so you just kind of glide around like you're on heelys which is uh kind of endearing um but not really the emperor a, approves. a major issue <laughs> yeah the emperor are those approves. are those heelys um <laughs> imperium edition they are yes um yeah so I, I i'm sure no doubt there has definitely been bugs and there probably still is bugs in the game but i think from the most part the most people are enjoying the game and um yeah i think it's it's been a it's been a pretty positive launch i think um for the most part so yeah yeah no that's really good to hear um speaking of very positive launches i'm i'm trying to get better at segways right you know, <laughs> Slime Rancher 2, Sui. Yeah. How's that thing? <laughs> I've been recording been a it lot for of, YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I think there's been a lot of positivity around it. A lot of people are like, yeah. you know, it's just like Slime Rancher 1, but better, you know? I'm Okay, <laughs> I haven't actually played Slime Rancher 1. What? Like there's, I'm sure a lot of references to Sly Rancher One in the game, but I'd never played it. So, <laughs> yeah. But I've been recording it for YouTube, and it's been a really good time. Like I put in like I think an hour and a half or two hours into the game last night, and yeah. there is like the world is really big, and it's taking me a really long time to explore it. I just wish that there was more like teleportation stuff. I mean, maybe I just haven't unlocked it yet. But, yeah, no, it's been a really good time. I finally figured out how to open, like, uh, the gates that, or, like, the doors that have, like, a plort on them. I finally solved that puzzle last night, and I was so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is, it is a wonderful game, and it, um, I've played through Slime Rancher 1. I've actually had a few issues trying to get Slime Rancher 2 to play, so, you know, I'm still working on that, and hopefully we'll, we'll solve that. But it is, from what I've seen, it is just a lot of the same, the same charm and the same sort of mechanic that made Slime Rancher 1 so enjoyable. They're back, um, graphics are updated, there are quality of life changes, and it does look like an absolutely just fun game. Um, it launched in early access, so there is more coming, and I have debated waiting for that as well. Um, because I, I have a contentious love-hate relationship with early access games. If I find an early access game that I love, I will absolutely play it until I'm burnt out on it. And then when they add, like, more content or finisher, I'm just not interested. Because <laughs> I've already burned myself out on it. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's got all of the adorableness of um, Slime Rancher 1. Mm -hmm. 
So it's good to see that you've been enjoying it. And the, the references are, I think it's continuing the same person's story. It's literally like they've gone to a new area. So that's mm -hmm. also pretty cool. And that's probably why you'll see a lot of the, the references. Yeah. So um, they referenced the first game a lot. And then, like, I think some of the friends that you have are from the first game, it feels like. Just because, <gasps> like, the Bob? second game doesn't explain them. Yeah. Is that Bob, who is actually three slimes in a trench coat that craves chicken? What? Yeah. I think there's a dude named Bob. Okay, so you used to get orders in from, you know, it's basically you would get a... A, a daily quest and one of the one of the npcs was bob and it was like chicken 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 and he only spoke in the word chicken you basically had or whatever the chickens are called he had to go get them but you oh, know, if, if you look oh, at the actual oh, image oh, of I, them, I think i met him wait hold on i think i <laughs> i think hold on hold on let me let me use google really fast because i think i met him <laughs> last night in the game. This was supposed was... to just be a throwaway line, and now yeah, I've had to explain yeah, yeah, yeah. it all, and I met him last night. It. I met him last yes. night in the game, and and he was, like, kind of weird, and then suddenly just goes, chicken, at the very end of what he says, and I'm like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, no, that that's Bob. He's like that. Yeah, no. So, but it's kind of funny because I don't know how the first game plays or anything. Like, I never played it. So, <laughs> it's kind of just been interesting to play it because I'm just here like, there's probably so many references I don't get. And there's probably certain things that just aren't explained because people expect that I played Slime Ranger 1. And I'm just like, so, how do I keep X kind of slime alive? Because, <laughs> like, for example... Um, there's what's called a fire slime, and they eat ash only, and I haven't figured out how to keep them alive yet. Wait, they, they actually die? They just disappear. I put them in a pen, and then they disappear. So maybe, like, I mean, I haven't constructed an incinerator yet, so maybe there's, like, a thing with the incinerator that they'll just, like, sit at it or something, because, like, I, I found puddle slime last night. And I put them in a little, uh, like, pond that you can make. And they seem to be living just fine. So maybe it's something similar for the fire slime. I don't know. It's just, like, there's so many puzzles in the game. So many little things that they don't really fully explain. And it's a puzzle. Yeah. No, I, I, I remember Slime Rancher, like, you fed them in order to get ports. But they didn't actually die otherwise. So, um, I, I accidentally forgot to, after a stream, I forgot to pause the game and I went to bed. I forgot to close the game and I just left it running. I came back in the morning to find everything sitting around still. And we're up to like, you know, instead of day 30, we're up to day 300 because it had just run for so long. I was like, oh yeah. They no, all angry and like out of their pens and stuff though. Yeah. Yeah. When they get hungry, they get out of their pens and that. Just like children, you know. Are you doing Largos or are you doing uh, normal slimes? That was Slime Rancher 1. I don't even remember back then. Oh, okay. But one thing I have been playing recently, and I want to jump onto this one because I really, really have been enjoying this one. This has been an offline one for my own enjoyment, which is 
I feel that we don't always get to play games offline for our own enjoyment. Dude, I've 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 made a no guilt game list on my Steam of games <laughs> that I feel like I never am gonna actually get around to covering anyway, so I might as well enjoy it for myself because I, I wasn't given a review key for it. And there's no reason I feel, should feel guilty playing it. And it's been so much fun to be able to just sit down and play a game on my own without having to like be on and in recording or streaming mode. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No guilt game list. I like the I like the name of that because my current no guilt list is, or no guilt game is uh, Zero Sievert, which is a pixel uh, uh pixel based um pixel art based extraction shooter. So it's basically Tarkov but with pixel art. Oh, I've watched uh, Danitage play this. I'm familiar with this game. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Part-Time Triggered played it earlier, like last week as well. Um, Blind got me into it. He was the one that was playing and was like, Arch, you have to get this. And it's so much fun. It's incredibly frustrating, um, you know, and, and it's it's like I imagine the other games to be like as well, you know. The idea of you, you know, basically lose all progress unless you actually get out alive and and all of that. But it's been incredibly fun, you know, because it's punishing when you're out there, but it's forgiving when you die. So by that, what I mean is when you're out there, you can run into something and just be shot and die, right? But when you die, it actually just reloads to when you, you were about to go. Some things change, like time changes. I think some of your gear takes damage. But you've got all the same, you know, you don't lose your healing stuff, right? If you're out there and you use your top tier healing and you still die, you'll have it back when you when you respawn, as opposed to, oh no, you lost it. You don't lose your whole inventory. All things like that that I think are really good because they they mean that while you're out, you know, you've got to survive, you've got to complete tasks, you've got to collect things. And there's that challenge, but if you die, you just go back to where you were when you started rather than actually further backwards because you used ammo, you used um, food and water and all of that. So it's been a lot of fun. And um, I I got a really nice sniper rifle, so I feel super badass sneaking around and shooting bandits in the head. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. and. Yeah, no, it's it's been something that I actually quite really enjoy playing offline. I will play it a couple of ep- uh, a couple of rounds and then be like, all right, I'm done. And then half an hour later, I'll find myself loading it back up after a break, which is usually how I consume games nowadays. Um, I on my no gill, I played on. Uh, I'm currently playing through Not Tonight, which is like a Papers Please esque game from 2018. That's like a commentary on Brexit and is like in a dystopian British world where Brexit ruined everything and it's hilarious. Um, Wait, 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 wait. A dystopian, an alternate world where Brexit ruined everything or just the current world? Um, it's, it's more, it's alternate because, you know, like in the world, People are um, being kicked out of the country because 
and they're like anti-Europeans and all this stuff. So it's like, it's just like a, if things actually went like 180 and was just absolutely it, it, horrible. It, it sounds like what Brexit was and is. <laughs> oh no, it's funny the, though. The, it's funny. I've been enjoying oh, oh, it. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's the alternate bit then. It's all happening bad, but it's kind of amusing as opposed to it's all happening bad and that's how it is. Um, yeah, no, it's it's funny. Um, but you play as a bouncer and you have to like check everyone's IDs and make sure that they can actually go into the clubs and then like uh, that they have a ticket, that sort of stuff. And so it's basically papers, please. But it's been a good time. No, that, that's awesome to see and awesome to hear. Um, I think I heard about that. That's it's an older game, isn't it? Um, it's from 2018. I also played the Final yeah. Station, which was uh really fun too. But that was like a zombie esque game where you're uh, uh taking a right. train. St but yeah, yeah, still within the zombie thing. Hecky, is there any any game other game that you've been playing apart from Elden Ring that you'd like to talk about, or is that it? Well, my Elden Ring playthrough lasted for several months, so I've been quite busy <laughs> with it. But I did play a bunch of uh, um, RimWorld, obviously, leading up to <laughs> the hot potato, trying to practice a little bit. Um, and I the, the DLC for Resident Evil 8 came out about a month ago, so I take that out oh, as yeah. well. Um, it's been good fun. I like that there has been uh, more updates to Resident Evil to the series. They are coming out with a remake now uh, of the fourth Resident Evil this spring, I think. Um, and that's been something that I guess I'm, I'm waiting for also. Uh, excited to see new, new titles. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because Resident Evil has always been something that I've kind of watched and like the games. I yeah. mean, I I I watched the um the movies. Oh my as well gosh, they're just so fun. Oh, the one I don't remember. I watched the first movie. It was it was a time. <laughs> I watched it recently. Sorry. <laughs> the the thing that 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 always confuses me is how the the plot goes because Resident Evil One insinuates, or the few first few insinuates that it's like this outbreak from Umbrella Corp, but then all of the others jump location and time periods as well, don't they? So it, it suddenly becomes yeah. like this whole different thing. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure about that either. There's probably others that know better about this. Uh, I've, I've just been enjoying the games. They have been a bit confusing uh, when it comes to, like, if they have... They have the shared lore of Umbrella, as you say, um, and even the newer ones seem to have that too, but it's it's very... It does feel very different. The the newer uh, Resident Evil Eight uh, and Village. It feels very different than the early titles. Definitely. I I don't know if that's intentional that they changed direction or if it's just kind of parallel um, bad stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, so I watched the Resident Evil series that I think was on Netflix. Um, oh yeah, and that was I like that way too. in the future. That was like set way in the future of the game series, from what I could tell. Ah, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if they were trying to base it on the on the like game lore, 
uh, that felt very, it was very dystopian, but also had a lot of, uh, I'm not sure, the, I think the, it got cancelled, right? It was one season and then it got cancelled? I don't know if it got cancelled. Let me look it up really quick. Yeah. Um, but it it that felt very different. I don't know. I, it had the same theme of also, um, I guess, the virus and the... Um, just shitty stuff yeah. going on, but um, it's, it's going canceled. Canceled. Yeah. It's... Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah, the confusion will stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no answers to be found. I mean, it did feel like an ending. But I've been enjoying the It did feel like an ending, from what I remember. Yeah. yeah but okay. I guess it's also taking it in, a, in another direction. I feel like the, there is a big umbrella of different <laughs> Resident Evil takes that have been made um, or everything might be just flying over my head I don't know I'm, I'm not entirely sure if I'm missing out on a deeper plot maybe but um, it, it feels like there's a lot of separate storylines I'm not well versed on I'm not well, well versed on Resident Evil but even I got that reference there well done Hecky Thank you, thank you. I try. <laughs> I played one. I played uh, Resident Evil Two and Resident Evil Three, like the remakes. And then I've watched the movie <laughs> and I've watched the series. So I only really know like early Resident Evil lore. Do you feel like they've tied them together well? Kinda. I mean, it 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 works in a way. In a way, yeah. it's not perfect, but. It's just a fun little thing, and, you know, I, I can work with it in my head as being a fun thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Anyways, we're going to take a quick little break, and then uh, what do you say we sit down and talk about some of the news of the... the, the I was going to say the world, and I'm like, if, if we say that and then come out with D&D Lego, I don't think that we're really uh, carrying the same impact that news of the world suggests. But yes, how about we take a break and we come talk about some Lego. Hi, this is Tidikiri. I'm a full-time content creator and Twitch streamer focusing on indie and strategy games. I'm advocating accessibility in video games, especially when it comes to simulation sickness. I love chatting with my wholesome community, achievement hunting and winter. Look for Tidikiri on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Patreon. And now, back to the podcast. We are back with episode 46 of the Halcyon podcast, uh, jumping into some news and first of all, some lighthearted things, um, a, a user or a couple of, um, a couple of users have gone ahead and built a D and D Lego set for a competition. I'm just reading here now. Cause originally I thought it was just going through the, uh, Lego ideas, but I actually read another bit in the article. Um, so to celebrate the 50th anniversary of D&D, uh, the teams at Lego Ideas and Wizards, so Wizards has actually been introduced with this, I, I, I did read that wrong earlier, um, they kicked off the contest using the Lego Ideas system. And what the Lego Ideas system is, is basically, it's a website where people submit their builds and their ideas for things, it gets votes, and I think once it hits, I think it's 10,000 votes within a certain period. Uh, Lego then reviews and comments on it saying, yeah, no, that's a good idea. We'll build that or no. Um, quite often you get a lot of people trying to put in 
you know, tie-ins to other things, then Lego has to basically say no, because, I mean, um, intellectual property and copyright stuff, but there's been quite a lot of cool things that have come through with it. And yeah, so they've tied up, tied or connected with um, Wizards of the Coast to do, to ask people for Dungeons of the Drag, Dungeons and Dragons. I think I just said Dungeons of the Dragon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, okay, boomer. Here's I literally the- spent- <laughs> <laughs> These here fandangled kids in their dungeons with the dragons and the hingen and the hungen. I pay. I play seven hours of D and D a week, and I still manage to call that Dungeons of the Dragons. Yeah, kind of cringe. <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, I am absolutely telling everyone about this. Um, so there's some really cool ideas here that really take things out of um, you know, in- inspired by it. Um. Drongo, what do you think about it? You're you're a bit of a D and D nerd, aren't you? Or at least uh, D and D literate, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that I am D and D literate, uh, at least from a role play perspective. Maybe not so much from a uh, uh, a game mechanics perspective. I'm not much for for ones for for rules and stuff like that. I definitely lean more heavily towards the RP side of things. But, wow, uh, you're not one for rules, okay. Rebel. Yeah, in general, yeah. Surprise, shocker for everybody, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I think it's really cool. I, I, I would like. I loved Lego growing up, and I love D and D now. So for me, that's kind of a really cool potential collaboration. It would be really awesome if they did actually manage to make something like that official. Um, I just think it's really cool as well that you know, thanks to shows like Stranger Things and things like that that have managed to capture the, you know, the mainstream eye a little bit more that um, D&D in particular has gotten a lot of uh, a lot of additional traction and a lot of additional interest and brought a new uh, wave of people into the, into the hobby. And I know some people that have been in the hobby for a long time like to maybe like mumble and grumble and almost adapt that like hipster mentality of, oh yeah, well, I was doing this before it's cool kind of thing. But I think it's just a really awesome thing because, you know, D&D is just such a, a, an amazing way of kind of bringing people together and just doing a collaborative storytelling and, you know, just using your imagination and, and spending time with friends. And I'm just, I'm all for anything that kind of gets more people involved in doing cool things like that. Yeah, no, for sure. I, um, I actually liken, you know, there, there are two, two fandoms, which you may not consider to be closely aligned, but I actually connect them a lot is D and D and Rimworld. Everyone wants to tell you about their characters Everyone wants to tell you about their setting and it's, it's always, you know, they want to tell you about what's going on in their game, whether it's D and D and their characters and what's going on or their colony in Rimworld. And I kind of realized that and embraced that because, um, yeah, it is group storytelling, um, Mm -hmm. at its core, there's mechanics to how to do things, but it's a bunch of people sitting around and having a group hallucination. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, um, it is it is a lot of fun. Um, are you familiar at all with D and D, Sui or Heki? I am. I uh, played it a bit in high school, but uh, my group was just too slow, and I was too impatient, and I would zone out. 
Right. Okay. <laughs> Tip- typical. Um, how about you, Hecky? Have are you uh, learned in the D and D universe? I am very much not. No, uh, everything I know about D and D is what I have seen in uh, Stranger Things. Uh, so I guess I'm one of them who have gotten introduced to it through <laughs> through the series. Um, yeah. But I can totally understand the um, the appeal of it. It seems great. If I were to uh, get to try it out, so to speak, I think I would be also uh, very interested in continuing and, and so doing. My problem with the world is I do not care for medieval stuff. And 99% of D&D stuff is medieval. I know there is other tabletop games. D&D doesn't have to be medieval. So on and so forth. But in practicality, good luck finding something that's not medieval setting. And all I want is I want a tabletop role-playing game where I'm in like some kind of like not medieval, but some sort of like fantasy world. And I'm just, you know, going through like social situations and a story more than, uh, you know, going through combat. Because, oh my gosh, my group took so long. It took like 15, 20 minutes to get around the table per round of combat. Imagine how long it took to do the most simple, basic. 15 minutes? Uh Uh-huh. That's quick. It took at least 15. Sometimes it'd be 30. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's pretty standard for, you know, there's a lot of dice rolling. There's not normally many rounds of combat. If if you're going if you're going more than 5 or 6 rounds of combat, then yeah, it's going to start adding up, but that's usually reserved for boss battles. Usually things are pr- wrapped up pretty quickly and yeah, it, it does depend. Every every board game is different. Some people prefer the RP, the setting changes and all of that. That's what I like about D&D though. It's it's a series of instructions, you know, nothing more. You absolutely can have futuristic stuff. I mean, um, one of our games, we decided that we wanted to own the moon. We went to space. We went to Chicago. Um, <laughs> of course, and, the and two that- things that I would <laughs> do in a sci-fi setting, go to the moon and go to Chicago, of course. Yeah, the two natural Listen. things. <laughs> Um, it, it of course is based off the Spelljammer, uh, stuff. And then, uh, I think, what are they called? Um, I think it was the Edge Runners, you know, the, the cyberpunk setting Edge Runner that we borrowed, we borrowed stuff from. And so there's a lot that interconnects and it's a lot based on, you know, how everyone works together and what they can all bring to the table. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity for that. And it's the same with Lego. I absolutely love Lego. I'm looking at these pieces now. Um, the, the pieces that are currently suggested in the, in the article we'll share, there's a mimic, a dice tower, like a dragon's keep, um, the monster manual. So like an actual book with a bunch of monsters. And then there's Xanathar, the beholder, who is, um, a character from Waterdeep and is, is head of the thieves guild there. I know that because I'm not allowed in Waterdeep because I upset him. Um, <laughs> in my game. So, yeah, no, there's lots of varied ideas, and it's absolutely great to see the LEGO Lego team work with uh, Wizards of the Coast to do that. So, 
Quickly before we move on, I just want to say, because Heki said, oh, Drongo, I would love to see you play uh, Elden Ring. Heki, I would love to see you play D&D. I think that would be an absolute time. I would be so down for that. Yeah, I think it would be be a lot of fun to see. It it would be a miss, but uh, hopefully (laughs) fun. (laughs) If I come to Australia, we can play some. Oh my god, you promise? <laughs> uh sure. Sure. Yes. Oh no. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Booking flights now. Um, right. <laughs> I mean you've even got your old wizard set up there with Grandpappy Drongo. <laughs> it's you <know>? true, yeah, <laughs> I do. Just just don't hunch over so much and boom, you're a you're a wizard. Or a druid, you know, whichever you want to be more. Thanks. Um, speaking, speaking about what you want to be when you grow up, oh. yeah, no, what you want to be when you grow up, <laughs> shush. Combat. Um, no, uh, the U.S. Army um, internal army documents obtained by Motherboard provide insight on how the U.S. Army wanted to reach Gen Z women and Black and Hispanic people through Twitch, Paramount, and the WWE. Um, we did actually notice this quite some time ago when um, the U.S. Army Esports actually started their own Discord server and they started um, their own Twitch channel trying to run that. And it was pretty obvious that they were doing something there. And these documents basically do nothing but um, reinforce what everyone already knew. Drongo, what do you think about this? Um, I mean, it, it, to me, it's absolutely no, no surprise. I mean, the, the U S army, um, and military branches overall have got a, a pretty long and storied history of trying to use uh, or leverage popular media, whether it be movies or whether it be, um, you know, music videos and things like that. Uh, to increase their their brand presence, which is the way they kind of treat it in a, in a lot of respects when they come to advertising, is they build a brand of what you know being part of the the armed forces is, and it's um you know so they'll have like they have an entire you know section where they have just military equipment that they let people have for you know music videos or movies and things like that for massively discounted prices which a lot of them use because you know that way you can get a tank you can get a bunch of humvees or something like that for your you know your your music video or something like that and it's you know increases the production quality so it's no surprise to me at all that the they look at you know these really out of the box ways that to try and worm their way into the the public eye and the you know try and increase that that brand presence and yeah i i don't know what anybody else expected to be honest it's just it does not shock me at all no it doesn't shock me either i mean simpsons made fun of it what 10 10 plus years ago with uh eva net you know, um, the idea that the Navy was funding this boy band because they wanted more more youth in, you know, and that that's kind of like I look at that and go, well, well we already knew all this. Like, what's what's the big deal? But yeah, it I does mean, go to show. Sorry, yep. American here. 
I uh, don't like my tax money being used on advertisement for the army. To be honest, um, I'm kind of my one of the few political takes I am willing to explain is uh, I understand that we need it, but I still do not like us having an army or like having a bunch of military. Like I don't. I'm like very pacifist. So. <laughs> That's so yeah. The U.S. Army has a budget of about $1.5 trillion. Yeah, no, it's way too much. It's stupidly high. It's bigger than, like, the next top ten. Like, I, I, I absolutely, I don't like saying the tax money being spent on the advertising or, or the army and such. The U.S. Army is absolutely ridiculous, and I don't think anyone bar the U.S. Army thinks that it should be that high. But... That aside, it's it's the inherent slimy nature feel of the the army is looking at how can we connect these people to give them guns and send them off to war and die. Yeah, I don't like. And it. that's what I don't like. That there, there are people who find a calling in the army. There are people who find purpose in that. My brother was in the army for a while because he found it, like found that calling. He wanted to do that, but the idea of trying to in like slide in and grab these 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 people watching Twitch streamers and being like oh wow you know the army's sponsoring Call of Duty and I'm seeing all this cool stuff and I'd love to do that I think that's that's where it gets me Australia does a fair amount of advertising for the army as well or the defense forces you might know as well Drongo but a lot of it's built around the fact that you can learn trades that you can be more than just a soldier. And I think that, again, while still a little bit rather not have to have it at all, that's a lot better than trying to use people like, well, if you like Call of Duty, you'll like the real thing. There's no lag. <laughs> like, it, it, it kind of gets no. a little bit, little bit ridiculous on that. Most of these plans were scrapped, which is very good to hear. But the original plans involved spending several million dollars on Twitch and addressing the, uh, the HBCU, Historically Black Colleges and Universities Showdown. So, yeah, they were looking at sponsoring Twitch to run Call of Duty things. So, I'm, I'm glad this didn't happen. I think that that's quite insidious. I think that the army should not be using the same marketing tactics as, say, a G Fuel or GamerSups uh, company that, that just wants to target the Gen Z and sell them a, sell them a little product. Selling uh, military service and risking your life should not be considered on the same, in the same breath at the same market. Yeah, but no, America um... already has an issue with uh, recruitment. Yeah, no, when I was, uh, when I was, like, 18-ish, I actually did get, like, a lot of exposure to that stuff. Like, we had a recruiter come to our school for the military and was like, anybody want to join? And, you know, I went to an art school, and so, like, two-thirds of us were girls, and we were all just there, like, no, we're good. Like, we, yeah. none of us have that macho, like, want to go fight sort of mentality, and then, um, when I did, like, um, a trade conference thingy is the best way to say it. In high school, I went to a conference for, like, 
you know, professional workforce type stuff. And they yep. had a huge military presence there. Um, mm. I think it was the army specifically. Um, I remember like a few years back, every other uh, ad on Twitch was for the army. Like it's everywhere in the US. That know? would have been part of what these documents refer to, I believe. Okay, right? yeah. That was the period in which they're referring to. Basically, these documents have been released afterwards or been obtained afterwards. But yeah, no, there was a definite attempt to be like, hey, how can we leverage Twitch in the current current gaming spheres? And I remember them copying a lot of harassment for that. I don't know if they're still on Twitch or if they still do that. But yeah, um, people who choose to do military service, that's perfectly fine in my opinion. It's the people that are targeted and manipulated with typical advertising techniques or also, you know, the idea of, oh, if you're in the army, you'll get a free, you'll get, you get to go to university for free afterwards. Cause I had a friend in the U S who, who did that. He spent two tours in, um, Iraq because he got free university afterwards and he couldn't afford it any other way. To me, yep. that's, that's where it's leaves Why? a very icky feeling on me. I met a lot of people when I was going to college that uh, were only there because they had man they had gone through their uh, service and then mm -hmm. were um, there for free. Um, a few of them missing a limb or something too. Um, yep. And it was it was common and there was tons and tons, especially when I was at the community college. There was so much stuff just all over the place about joining the military. And I think that's where it gets a little bit too insidious, don't you all think? And, like, a lot of it was like, oh, well, this college that's really expensive, it'll be free if you join us. You know? And that's very much how it was marketed when I was going to college. And that, that's kind of what they rely on from my experience as an outsider looking in as well. It's an interesting cultural divide, I think, between uh, the US and, you know, their, their military culture. And honestly, like in my experience, just about anywhere else in the world, because um, I mean, even in countries where I, you know, you, I would, I would say it's a, a great luxury and a great privilege to not have to rely on your military for your day-to-day -day protection and safety yeah um and i've been to countries where that is the reality of you know uh, some people's existence where you it is the very much the case that you rely on these people to provide some degree of protection and uh you know uh, safety for your your country and your people um but even there, it's it's still a very different kind of relationship and a very different culture to the US, which is very unique in kind of the way that they almost commercialize the the existence of the military in a lot of ways. And it's, yeah, just yeah. I, I don't really personally know enough about it to have any strong feelings negatively or positively about it. I just think it's a really interesting observation, um, you know, and ultimately it it's not really my place to pass judgment as as well to a certain extent i feel because i'm not an american and i'm not directly po affected by it positively or negatively but um yeah yeah like as an outsider there are there are things that are aspects that like you know they do in america that they don't do here like uh thank you for your service that is something that 
I, I like because where we are here, we're near a um NZ military base, and you see someone in in camouflage, and you're just like, I can't see you. You look like a tree. Um, whereas in the US, there is that thank you for the ser- thank you for your service, and there's all that recognition and stuff. So it is really interesting to see. Um, I I have nothing against you know people who do to go that route. I just yeah, hope that here. the people who do do so out of the desire to serve their country as opposed to, you know, I have no other options or I have been led down this path through marketing and advertising as opposed to anything. I agree. Like, there was a kid, um, there was one kid, I think, in my uh, high school that actually went for military and they were very much very passionate about it. They really wanted to, you know, serve the country. And at that point, like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think they're from a military family. Um, and, you know, like, I have no judgment. It's when the military persuades people, it can it can feel a little slimy if it's yeah. for the wrong reasons, you know? Yeah. Because... I think people go for it because they hear all these benefits without, like, really thinking about the fact that, like, it's a really, really dangerous thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like becoming a, um, you know, retail clerk or anything. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's there's still a lot of flack there, but different tone. Um, Before we do finish up, I've just been scrolling through um, this news article about the Heroes of Might and Magic 3, the board game. the really classic and popular Heroes of Might of Magic uh, game, well, the third one, um, is on Kickstarter and has 6,000% of budget, which is 60 times higher than um, their, their amount that they've been looking for. And, oh my god, the miniatures in it look amazing. I I was gonna say, that's the thing that really stood out to me when I looked at that news post, was the the little pieces for that set look gorgeous. I they yeah. are they look beautiful. I'm a sucker for beautiful tabletop uh game pieces and those look yeah, so good. So incredible. Yeah. Like I'm looking through through all of this and I, I saw that and I thought, oh yeah, here is a Might of Magic 3 board game, cool. I clicked on the Kickstarter and I started scrolling down through the miniatures available. And there are mounted knights, there are angels, like, uh, on foot knights, like, all of this and, like, you know, as a prolific D&D player, I'm looking at all of this going, like, there's even examples for, like, a Beholder, examples for, for young dragons, for, for zombie dragons, for skeleton warriors, for liches, Jeez. and it's such a beautiful system. Um, I don't think I'll do it because, I mean... Probably a little bit, um, little bit too expensive for me. Since um, the this article was written, they've raised an additional one point six million pounds. <laughs> that is oh, remarkable. It's, al- it's also finished, bugger. So that's why I won't be backing it as well. They raised a total of three point eight million euros for this. The goal was fifty thousand. And they raised three point eight million, so um, almost twenty seven thousand backers. They reckon delivery will be 
end of December 2023, but with that many backers, I expect that to be delayed greatly. Like, because that's one of the things with Kickstarters that I've noticed that's like, okay, so there is expected deliveries and all of this, but when something goes huge and there's so much more demand, they're like, oh, this is going to take way longer. Yeah, but, 100%. Um, I mean, that's the thing I'm that people don't really under yeah. understand about that sort of production is the amount of logistics that go into it is extreme when you're talking at like a, a production level and then having to increase from a perspective you know well let's conservatively try to make like a thousand units of this board game to let's make twenty six thousand versions of this board game or copies of this board game that's a uh, yeah yes. significant <laughs> yeah but it's it's great to see you know heroes of might of magic is absolutely uh an old school um gem and you know it's great to see things like this where where people are really behind the idea of these things and yeah there's clearly a lot of demand for it 100% but yeah and i think that's where we'll wrap things up for today because um I'm out of news stories. So I want to just say, first of all, thank you so much, Hecky, for joining us today. Um, yes. It's always a delight to have guests on, and you've been absolutely amazing. Um, thank you. Thank I, you. I know, I, I know you've been a little bit quiet in the corner, but, you know, I appreciate, appreciate you being here. And, uh, again, thank you so much for your work on the potato. An absolutely blast of a time. And, you know, uh, certainly, certainly set the, the bar high for amount raised and, <laughs> and the kind of chaos to expect on the rims. So, so thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Not only guesting tonight, but also in the, uh, in the hot potato, of course, shout out to the, to the community. <laughs> of course, I couldn't have done it without them, but, Absolutely. Um, uh, this has been super interesting as well. I've been loving listening to to uh, you talk now tonight, and um, <laughs> thank you for inviting me. Thanks for being here, Hacky. Thank yep. you. Thank you for being here. Where can people find you online on Twitch and Twitter and such? Uh, they search for Hacky Man, and I should be popping up. My name is the same on every platform that I am at. So yep, TikTok, so Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. <laughs> All right, so that's Hecky May, H-E-K-I-M-A-E, uh, if you're not reading the description in which it'll be down below, so yeah. Um, my name is Arch Plays Stuff, and you can find me on all platforms as Arch Plays Stuff. Sui, where can you be found? Yeah, I'm Sui, um, it's spelled S-U-W-E-Y, um, so you can find me on Twitch, Sui. Um, on YouTube, my main channel is uh, youtube.com slash at Sui. Um, and then I have Atsui streams for all the rest of the platforms. So that's Twitter. Um, I have another YouTube channel that's VODs that, uh, the ad is Sui streams, um, TikTok, etc. All right. And Bloody Drongo, where can people find you? Thank you. Why would find... they be looking for you? I don't know. Uh, if the uh, if the Australian Federal Police are listening to me, good luck. Um, but for everybody else, uh, you can find me on Twitch as Bloody Drongo, all one word. Or if you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me as at the Bloody Drongo. It's all right, mate. Rimworld is now legal in Australia. You're no longer being hunted. It's good news. <laughs> 
And don't forget, if you can, to leave a review for the Halcyon Frequency podcast wherever you're listening. They uh, mean a lot to us and also a lot to the algorithm. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll see you next episode. Bye for now. Arch, did you tell people where they could find you? (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha